Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast presented on the top football channel of the YouTube network. We're recording this on Sunday, October 8th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, it is actual squeaky bun time for Manchester United who pull one out. Spurs win a big one and they are top of the league. My beloved Brighton go into Liverpool, draw with Liverpool. But first, it's all about my beloved Manchester City losing to Arsenal 1-0 at the Emirates. Wowie wow, that's no fun. But first, please like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. And then the show will kick off with the great and powerful Manchester City versus Arsenal. Okay, how did I experience this game? Um, I came into it having woke up, saw the back half of the Brighton game. Yeah, I was okay. I was getting my football groove on, getting myself together. And then as I grew into the City game, I kind of noted the lineup was different. We had Bernardo sitting deep uh, in the Rodri role. No Saka misses a game for the first time uh, in 89 games for Arsenal. So he always plays, but this time he couldn't play. So we have some changes in that regard. Trossard was in for Arsenal. So the lineups were pretty good. Declan Rice was in. Regular stuff for Arsenal. And Ketia with uh, Gabriel Jesus on one side, uh, along with Trossard on that side. And then Odegaard, no Havertz, uh, Rice, and Jorginho in the middle playing the deep role. The back four is the back four. Same back four that Arsenal always play. Saliba, Gabriel, um, Zinchenko, and Ben White. So some adaptation there for City. Um, I've got to pull it up really quick. City, we had Foden, Holland, of course. And oh, who was on the other side? City, Holland. Oh, Alvarez up front with Bernardo, uh, Kovacic, and who was the other midfielder? Oh, God. See how much I watch these games. I get so drawn into them. They drive me nuts. Um, anyway, uh, back four, Gvardiol was playing fullback with Ake on the left side next to him, Diaz and Walker. So the strongest defense City could have played, but not everything over the top. Um, a tough, tough game. Uh, very, very tactical. First 20 minutes, I'd say City shaded it, had a couple of chances. But nothing too crazy. I think, you know, Ake had a chance that he missed. And that was really the only chance City had. It was City's only shot barely on target. This was a very, very, very cagey game. Just to give you a sense, City had only four shots on four shots on goal, one on target. That was their lowest shot attempt total in the Guardiola era. Arsenal, not much better, only two shots on target, but they have the more important thing. They have the goal. A possession relatively close, 51-49. City shaded it. Most of that was in the first half. Uh, just not a great performance by City. Let me just get that last out midfielder. I know why I didn't remember. It was Rico Lewis. Uh, that's not a name I would have thought of. And it was very tactical and very measured and very controlled and nothing really happened. And we saw different versions of pressing. If I was a tactical genius and I had boards, there was a lot going on. I could see as I was watching 
uh, City bringing six into the press and Raya trying to really figure out what City were trying to do. But Arsenal stayed in control. They had a little bit of trouble in the beginning of the game, but more in control as they went on. I thought the thing that was interesting for Arsenal was Declan Rice being in that hybrid spot. So that allowed him to use his athleticism, and he was able to play both roles more in the way that Granite Shaka did play that position. So up and back, defense and attack, more box-to-box, -box, less of a shield, and he was able to affect the game a little bit more um, than I would have expected. Um, for me, I didn't like what City were doing. Uh, everything was in the middle. Everything was congested. There was no real width from either side. And so you saw Enketia and Holland just never get the ball. Uh, for that matter, Alvarez barely ever got the ball because everything was in the middle. It was really a game played in the middle third, trying to deal with presses, trying to deal with all these things. It was very tactical. And I can say it, it was boring. <laughs> it was a boring game in terms of creating chances, but not if you're like a chess person. It was more like watching a chess match than a football game. Um, and it was sort of frustrating. No real forward passes, no real thrust. I think that's one of the things I think about with Kovacic. I'm not seeing line-breaking passes. I don't see anyone on City's side willing to risk anything. Uh, it's very, very controlled, uh, very, very ordered. Um, best players on the pitch. Not, not really crazy. Not, I couldn't say anyone stand out. I suppose the defensive players, Saliba, Gabriel, Ben White, uh, for city Walker, Diaz, Ake and Gavardi all were probably the best players. They really controlled things. I didn't see any line breaking passes. I didn't see anything, um, that was super interesting. Till later, I think second half, um, Arsenal made changes and City kind of decided, you know what, we're not breaking this team down. We're going to play for the draw. Very European night with away goals style. It was a very kind of cagey game, very reminiscent of mid-2000s Premier League versus the current Premier League. Um, but there were two or three different talking points that come out of this game. One David Raya in goal is a little bit shaky. <laughs> He's not quite at it yet. Uh, Alvarez had a moment where he chased him down. He stayed on the ball too long and sort of slammed the ball into the side netting. That was a moment for City, one of their few moments when they actually threatened a goal. He seemed to not understand the tempo of when to pass and who to pass to. So maybe he just needs to work that out. I think with Brentford, what we saw from him was that he would just go long to Tony. And this... Arsenal team need him to play more. He's lacking a little confidence, but it didn't cost them the game. He, it felt like he might. The second massive talking point was the fact that um, Kovacic probably should have been sent off. He got an early uh, yellow that was checked for a red. He did nail um, Odegaard pretty hard. And then a few minutes later, really goes in behind and hits Declan Rice very hard. That one's not checked, but that one's probably yellow. And we got from... Um, John Oliver, I can't remember his full name. Uh, what's the ref's name? I don't even remember. <laughs> Michael Oliver, excuse me. Uh, Michael Oliver waves it off immediately. Now, we're in the middle of this VAR death march controversy, and this should be a red, that shouldn't be a red, blah, 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 blah. 
I think ultimately I liked the non-call, even though it was two yellows and should have been ascending off. And I liked the non-call because Michael Oliver decided this is a big game. It's important. I don't want to send this player off. He took the game into his hands so that it was more of a sporting contest. And we didn't have to see City play down a man. Now, is that right or fair or within the rules of the game or the laws? No. No. But if you think about it from the juxtapose of the Jota game last week, where we wanted um, where we wanted the referee to not give a second yellow to Jota because that he had already given him a yellow and that tackle was the second tackle was a yellow. If he had used some discretion and said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Let people complain that you didn't give a second yellow rather than ruin the contest. I think that that was the right thing to do, even though it was, yes, two yellows. I understand. But I liked that he let them play. Did it give City an advantage? Sure. But it gave everyone an advantage that we got to watch and get a real result. And Arsenal and City can play, hey, they beat us fair and square, R11 versus their 11. We got the goal, and you didn't, and we got the win. Would Arsenal have liked to have had it be easier? Sure. But I like that they didn't take off Kovacic. The other one is Holland. <sighs> Who's going to get him the ball? He barely had a sniff in this game. He didn't have a shot for the first time. His XG was zero for the nerds. Front three didn't really do anything. Foden wasn't able to affect the game. And that's good on Arsenal. They really played well. They really defended well. They had a plan. All the pressing, like I said, all the tactical stuff was great. Uh, but uh, what I take out of this is that Arsenal can live with some confidence. The changes that Arteta made, all four changes, Partey, Martinelli, who came in at halftime, Tomiyasu and Havertz, were literally all involved with the goal. It was Partey to Tomiyasu, who nodded it down to Havertz, who passed it a nice, easy pass for Martinelli to, to touch and fire and scored the goal off of Nathan Ake's face. Uh, I think City's changes didn't help. I thought John Stones coming in for Kovacic, it was, a, it was a triple change for Lewis, Kovacic, and Alvarez. I thought taking off Alvarez was a mistake for Stones, Doku, and Nunez. Nunez didn't affect the game. Doku had a couple of runs, but Arsenal were wise to it because it didn't seem like there was a lot of movement. And then, like we said, City, the last 20 minutes, were kind of just like, you know what? We're going to see this thing out. We're not scoring. We're not winning this game. Let's try and get the draw. And City did play for the draw and then ultimately lost. So for City, it's licking the wounds. They've lost two in a row for the first time in the league ever. Uh, they did mid win midweek, so technically it's not two in a row. Uh, first time since 2018. Uh, Arsenal can feel great. They win for the first time in 12 against City in the league. They had beaten them. I do recall a FA Cup semifinal uh, where Aubameyang lit City up. Uh, that's when Arteta won that FA Cup in, I think, his first season. Uh, and a couple of cup games here or there. I think there was a 1-0 here or there. I can't remember all the games. But, um, but for Arsenal, this gives them belief. Uh, I said at the beginning of the season that I thought Arsenal would win the league. My reason being... It's hard to win four in a row. Who knows what's going to happen? And for City, this really showed some of the limitations of the squad. It's not a deep squad. It is a strong 
group of 15 or 16, but Oscar Bob is on the bench. Calvin Phillips is on the bench. He doesn't play. Ortega's on the bench. He doesn't play. Sergio Gomez is on the bench. He doesn't play. So we didn't see Kanji, but there really was no replacement for uh, Rodri. And of those three games that Rodri missed, City lost two of them. They lost to Newcastle, and they've lost to Arsenal. Uh, they did win one. Uh, they did beat uh, Leipzig, which was good. But, you know, Rodri is not replaceable. Uh, he really makes things tick over. I didn't see anyone taking a ball in a half turn and moving things on or breaking things up or whatever. All the things that Rodri does, he's missing. And then the other one in this game was De Bruyne. De Bruyne would have found a moment. De Bruyne is the is the lock pick. He would have forced balls into Holland and forced them and forced them and forced them and forced them. He's the one who's not afraid to have a 70% passing completion when the team is all in the 80s and 90s. He takes risky passes. And without him, City don't. And so City lose. Uh, they're now in third place. It's not the end of the world. It's early in the year. But Arsenal do take something from this and go, okay, now we can win this. Now we know what we are. I think they've learned something. I think that they they, they should go Odegaard, Partey, Rice, and let Havertz be a super sub for the first for the top three and let Rice be the eight that goes up and down and takes the, the, the Shaka role uh, because I think that team will work better. Uh, but that back four is strong as a group, and then they need to figure it out with Raya. Uh, it's starting to click for Arsenal, I think. And then City's just got to get our guys back, get a good win under our belt, get a tough opponent under our belt, move on again. City tend to be experimental and figuring out and finding solutions, and they just couldn't find a solution in this game. I'm not upset. Uh, I'm still flying high. City won the treble. I don't care. <laughs> Arsenal fans, you can be happy. I don't care. <laughs> I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. Uh, I know people expect me to be upset or mad. I don't get mad anymore. I was more upset yesterday at um, the San Diego Loyals last game. Tears uh, uh, streaming down our faces watching our team not get relegated but get disappeared. Uh, even worse. Winning 4-1. Got a home playoff game. Uh, if you want to go out to Torero Stadium, October 22nd, live, uh, we will have our final home game. Uh, but, yeah, less concerned about that. Much less concerned about that. Uh, another game I watched that I, I was laughing the whole time was uh, I've got to talk about Manchester United. They do get the win against Brentford. But, and you can feel great about it. I'll start with the positive. The positive side is, one, they won the XG battle. Two, Scott McTominay gets two late winners. They get the squeaky bum time lift. Um, three, they don't have to feel like they've lost and going into the international break. It papers over the cracks. All the metaphors, papers over the cracks. It's a plaster. It's a Band-Aid. Anything you say, they know that they got to win. And they can be like, Whew. Now, actual performance they're still terrible. There's every reason they should have lost this game over and over again. They were bad. Uh, Casemiro, still bad, loses the ball in midfield, tries to dive in, and then gets totally out of the play, and then Jensen scores on 26. And Brentford did what Brentford do, which is if you make a mistake, they jump on you and score their goal. And they were really close to getting this game done, but they ran out of gas. Uh, Ethan Pennick if they hadn't lost this game, would have been man of the match. Everything that came his way, he blocked. 
Pinnock and Ayer were fantastic for Brentford. They just stuffed Man United into their pockets and made them disappear. And yes, United did get the win. They got the win playing um, Mourinho-style late game uh, Malram Fellaini up top football like they used to do. That's where United are. They can't play. They're not connected. They don't have a system. They don't have, they don't, no one's working for each other. They don't know where their next pass is going to go. They're completely disjointed. But when their backs are against the wall, when things are tough, they can go long. They can tap into the crowd. They can find a way to win. They play like Frank Lampard uh, relegation battling Everton. That's how they play. Now, I'm pretty sure Ten Hag was not brought in to Man United to play that way, but that is how they win games. Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire were in defense. So that's where they are. But they did finally make the smart decision to put Lindelof at fullback. So the midfield was Amrabat and Casemiro, but even though Casemiro was at fault for the goal. So we're getting there. The goal, again, Onana diving over the ball, getting his hand to it, still not confident in goal. Uh, it's a little bit of a mess. Um, Brentford will feel hard done for sure. Uh, they'll probably feel like they should have won this game. Absolutely. And twice on Sunday, um, the sooner they can get back Ivan Tony, the better. I think they'll feel better when they come off the bench and bring on Neil Mope. Yeah, he took a shot on Nana, saved it. Thank God. But, you know, it was not it was not the best performance I've ever seen. And United, to be fair to them. They did push. They did get their goal. So, I mean, I'm not killing them, but this was not a good performance. Anyone who's a United fan, if you have to believe that this performance is fine against Brentford at home, you have a problem. This Brentford team is not good. They're poor right now. You saw them just yak up a win. Um, they can't score. Uh, they don't have Tony. A lot of the way they play, a lot of the goals they got from Umbueno have dried up. Uh, Wiss has been exposed. They're not really getting anything done. And so United, it's a mess still. Uh, I was listening to the Two Robbies podcast, the American side uh, players of the um, the podcast on NBC. And Robbie, Robbie, uh, Robbie, uh, um, Robbie Musto's like, we need to rip this team down to the studs. It needs to go. It needs to go back to zero. Uh, it needs to go. They need to clear everything out. They need new owners. Everything I've been saying, he thought. He said the same thing. I'm like, it's rotten. The whole team's rotten. It doesn't function. You may. It might mean that Ten Hag has to go. It might mean everyone has to go. This team does not work. It doesn't function. And the organization doesn't function. I'm going to say it week upon week upon week, over and over and over until everyone understands. Manchester United are the worst run club in all of top flight football, of the top groups, of the, of the aristocrats. They're the worst of the aristocrats. They are a second-rate duke with shitty land and peasants who don't respect them. They've got like a – on the crown, they have a guy with a withered arm and a wheelchair, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they have a they have an incompetent prince, basically, like uh like like Willie in the in the in the final throes of the of the German Empire uh, in 1914, a withered arm with like you know hemophilia. Uh, he's a mess. 
So that's what I think of the Glaciers. That's what I think of uh, of United. They're just like, it's a despot with a, a goon on the throne and they need to clear everything out and start again, again, for the third time, fourth time. It'll be the fourth time. Van Hal, Mourinho, whatever. It's bad. Okay. Uh, I do want to go to our friends at Liverpool. A 2-2 draw with Brighton. This was a good game. This I enjoyed. This I really liked. Uh, you know, I love my beloved Brighton. Um, they do get a nice goal from my player to watch this season, Mr. Adingra. Uh, just picks the pocket of McAllister. Fires in an audacious shot after Allison goes up line. He must be 30 yards out. Still fires it in. Nice, nice goal. Really enjoyed um, what happened there. Just a fun, fun, fun game. Uh, you know, Liverpool and Brighton, they've got beef. They've got history. Uh, they are fighting with each other. Uh, a little bit of controversy from my friends. I might as well bring it up. The belief that the penalty on Slobajai should have been ascending off because uh, Pascal Gross grabs him by the shirt. I've never seen that one taken. Uh, it's a penalty. He pulls him down. No problem. Denial of a goal scoring, whatever. That's just a regular penalty. Uh, and Salah slots at home. He had scored uh, two goals in this game. Both goals, really nice stuff, really nice buildup. But again, Brighton played the Brighton way. They did the Brighton thing. They were really, really good. Good for two goals, the Adingra goal. And then late, they level it up on a uh, on a Lewis Dunk goal that Andy Robertson is going to be kicking himself. He pulls out of what could be a clearance. I'm sure he was afraid it would be an own goal, so he didn't swing a boot at it. He had a chance to. Maybe he didn't feel good about his body shape, and uh, Lewis Dunk slots at home on a really nice cross. Um, Gravenberch had a chance, a really like a wide-open goal that he shot onto the bar. So Liverpool could have gone up 3-1, didn't. Then they'll have to settle for the draw. They should really feel good about that. Liverpool should feel good about a draw away at the Amex. That's, we have to sort of change our reasoning. Playing Brighton is hard. And that is a top club. And that is a problem. And when you go there, you hope you get your win because you can play your football. But the fact of the matter is, Deserby has that team playing well. They have good players. And if you don't show up, you get beat. If you make a mistake, they punish you. If you sat on a ball, McAllister, on the left wing, and you're the that, and you're the six, and you get the ball taken off you, that's on you. <laughs> you blew it. So, a uh, really fun game, a really good performance, and again, um, I still feel good about my, I still feel good about my top four call for the great and powerful um, Brighton, but it's going to be tougher than I thought. Uh, these two teams didn't really have too much between them, both on 14 shots. Um, 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 Brighton, three on target. Liverpool, four. Uh, possession slightly edged to Liverpool, so that's good. Passes not too different. Accuracy close. Everything really close. And they're only, you know, a point between each other in the table. So not too crazy, not an expected result. I think, you know, I'll look forward to the next time Liverpool and, and Brighton play just great to have Deserby. Great to have all of it. One nice touch. Deserby made sure to walk with uh, Alexis McAllister while they at the end of the game, pointing to him to make sure the Brighton fans cheered him and were appreciative of it. It was a really cool moment. Uh, one of the things you love about football is just 
people accepting that, you know, players move on and that they had to do it. Uh, really good stuff. I enjoyed it. Uh, Mo Salah still just an absolute legend. Uh, when does he get mentioned with Ian Rush? When does he get mentioned with the great goal scorers in Liverpool's history? He's already there. He's already one of the all-time Premier League greats and just continues to add to his legacy. He'll be the one that stays uh, when the team transitions. Maybe he'll be the one that takes Klopp to the end and he just stays forever. I hope that's what happens. I hope we see Mo Salah stay at Liverpool uh, his whole career, the, whatever's remaining. it. Yes, he's 30. Yes, it, it can be time to move on. He's 31. Uh, yes, it can be time to move on, but it'll, it won't feel like Liverpool without him. He's so integrated into the team. Uh, and I think we should appreciate players who are consistent because we, you tend to forget about them. It's I call it the Albert Pujols effect. Guy puts up 30, 100, and 290 every year for 15 years. You start to just think that that's normal. It's not normal. For Mo Salah, it's 20 and 10 for five, six years in a row now. Well, I guess Klopp's been there for eight years. So for seven years, he's been doing it. Uh, he's just an amazing, amazing, consistent performer that we should be appreciative of. Uh, I certainly, as a City fan, am petrified of Mo Salah whenever he shows up uh, in, in the match. Uh, for Brighton, though, um, it, it continues. Two great games, both in the Europe, Europa League. They're more similar than anyone wants to admit. Um, uh, if I'm Liverpool, I actually start talking to De Zerbi now and see if Klopp will leave, and then you'll really steal a player, a manager from your club. Maybe he's going to be the player that go. He's going to be the manager who goes to Liverpool or City at some point. Uh, De Zerbi is that guy. I really think so. So very interesting stuff. Um, very cool game. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a ton. Uh, other game, let's go to some Saturday games because I, I don't have a lot of data on the Sunday games. Um, I do, uh, I'll go Tottenham. Tottenham rolling on top of the league on 20 points. That's Tottenham, top of the league on 20 points. Uh, they defeat the great and powerful uh, Luton Town while they're down a man because Eve Basuma somehow decides that diving without anyone touching you um while you're on a yellow card it was a good idea it was not a good idea and uh <laughs> it did not quite quite work there but city i mean tottenham in the first 20 minutes just pounded uh luton um just couldn't get anything through kulashevsky richarlison both had shots saved that were almost half a goal shots i mean just Really, really great chances that they couldn't get. Then cometh the moment, cometh the man, James Madison. Again, just trickery down the line, getting it through uh, to the byline, off the corner, slots it into Mickey Vandeven, who opens up his body, puts it in. Guy is a giant freaking unit of a defender. He should not be one that fast, that good, and be able to get a shot off like that. Six foot four, tricky feet. Gets his goal. Just Spurs are purring. You know, we don't ask questions about, you know, you had a bad result. You got a lucky result one week. You got a lucky result today. Luton had an open goal and missed. So Spurs are riding their luck a little. Uh, if you remember last season, they rode their luck a lot. 
uh, to have the record that they did, especially earlier in the season when they'd go down two goals and then come back every week. Uh, but this is different. This is we're on the front foot getting luck. It feels like a better version of luck than being negative and getting lucky. Um, but uh, yeah, really, really good, good stuff and really good stuff from from Luton. You know, this is a team that has not invested in anything, not put any money into the club. And they've played well. They've had chances. Uh, I don't shit on promoted teams ever. I have so much respect for getting out of the championship, for being in the Premier League. It's these guys' lives. I think about Tom Lockyer all the time, the central defender who's just, he's got this long shaggy hair and a beard. He's running around trying to like put fires out, put his finger in a dike as the water comes through. They're not good enough, but God love him. Uh, what a wonderful performance for them. And another performance, Chelsea uh, defeating Burnley. Also, <laughs> Burnley just giving it everything they've got. They're just not good enough. They get the first goal. They're up one. And you think, oh, boy, Chelsea are in trouble again. But Chelsea respond. Um, uh, I'm going give, to give this guy some respect. Wilson Odebert gets this first goal in the Premier League. Puts um, Burnley up. But... Cometh the man, cometh the moment. This is the Raheem Sterling game. He completely terrorized Burnley, and he was involved with all four goals, created the own goal against Dachiel, um, drew the penalty that Palmer puts away, then he scores his own, then he makes the run and the cross into Cole Palmer, who then sets up Jackson for the fourth. So This was all Raheem all the time. He's taking responsibility as the elder statesman of the of the team. He's by far, he's the second oldest player on the team as, uh, after um, after Thiago Silva. So he's 28, almost 29. And then the average age of the team is like 23. So, um, so Raheem Sterling just had an incredible game and only 34 touches, but every time he got on a ball, he took off and did things. The other one is Cole Palmer. Uh, Prem Soom did come, just didn't come for City. Uh, I love him, Cole. I'll always love you. You're so good. You're so smooth. Just a completely different look when you have Sterling on one side running like a like you know like it's a Flintstone leg, and then you've got this tall, smooth running at the same speed. Palmer just with his head up, you know, just very languid player who really gets things done. Reminds me more of like Michael Luis Alisi than your sort of Raheem Sterling. But what a great winger Palmer is playing on that side, and it looks like Mauricio Pochettino has got this Chelsea team now converting. They had been playing well. They've won every single one of their games XG. I know that doesn't mean anything to anyone, but it will mean something to Mauricio Pochettino when he looks at the scores and the fixtures. He can say, you guys are doing the right thing. You guys are putting the shots on target. You guys are doing everything you need to do uh, to win these games, right? Let's see. Liverpool won one opening day of the season. They won the XG battle. Lost to West Ham. They won the XG battle. We know they beat Luton. Uh, EFL Cup, they beat. Then they have their losses. They smashed freaking uh, Nottingham Forest in the, in the XG game. Smash Bournemouth on the XG game. Eke out a loss against Aston Villa. And then they've actually won every game by XG. I know game state matters. I know that when you're behind, you're pushing. I know all these things. I know stats don't mean everything. But 
when you're analyzing your team and you're trying to make long-term decisions, you cannot panic. You've got to look at the data that says, we're doing the right things, we're creating chances, we're possessing the ball, we're just not getting the rub of the green. Our millimeters on our feet are not getting millimeters on the ball in the right spot. A shot's going a foot too far right and the guy's getting a save. So they trusted the process and now they're getting their dress rewards. Now winning two on the spin, beating Fulham and Burnley. Uh, the schedule gets tougher. They have Arsenal, Brentford. Uh, we talked about it. How many points do they get? Spurs, City, Newcastle, Brighton, United. They've got a lot of tough games, but at least they have a platform to go off of. And now I don't feel like they're going to lose all those games. I feel like maybe they'll get something out of them because they are indeed doing the right things, right? So here's the thing. Nico Jackson's on 4XG, only has two goals. Uh, Enzo Fernandez is on 2.2XG, he has no goals. Uh, Palmer's on one and a half. He only has one. Chillwell was on one. And then on and on and on. They just weren't converting. I like Broya. I like Palmer. I like where Chelsea are going. They're getting to the right places at the right time, doing the right things, and you can feel the momentum growing. I don't think they're going to win this league, or they may finish in the top eight or top seven, but they will get better as the season goes along because Pochettino's too good. The players are too much talent. They still need a defender that's like Van de Ven or Saliba back there, and they need a real striker, even though uh, Nicholas Jackson did get a goal in the game. So good for him. Uh, on the Burnley side, they've had a tough schedule. I get it. They've got their win, but my beloved Vincent Company is going to have to find a new way to play because they are shipping goals like you wouldn't believe. Um, I think that they are they might be number one in goals against. Well, actually, it can't be because Sheffield gave up eight, but they might be second in goals against. I'm going to check that right now. Goals against, second against. Yeah, I got that right. Uh, they're not scoring enough. Uh, they're not doing enough. Uh, they're going to be in trouble if they can't turn this thing around and start translating some of that play into scoring goals and winning right now seven goals for 20 against getting lit up like a christmas tree um they did win on tuesday against luton we know uh they lost to newcastle they lost to united and they drew with forest forest was a game you they feel hard done by on a handball goal they should have won that game uh so burnley getting there i think that they're a work in progress i feel good about them uh, more than I do about Bournemouth and Sheffield United. Okay. Uh, what other games can we go to that we feel very loving and excited about? I know. Let us go to West Ham, where West Ham 2, Newcastle 2, a good game. Isaac with two goals, all Trippia crosses, all Trippia side-footed volleys into Isaac, uh, pulls the game level, but West Ham... Get the leveler from Kudos on 86. A really nice goal. Again, West Ham. West Ham are good. Uh, not a, a Newcastle coming off that massive game. They didn't want to get the letdown, and Newcastle did bring the ruckus for the last 40 minutes where they really were pressing and really trying to put, um, trying to put 
West Ham to bed, but just couldn't find another goal. And West Ham ended up being the winners there. Suchek on eight, then Kudos on 89, with, followed by the two Izak goals, 57 and 62. A good game, a tight game, a close game. Two teams that a lot of people love. Uh, a lot of people feel good about supporting West Ham and Newcastle. They're both kind of feel-good teams, unless unless you're Chelsea and you're a headhunter. Um, but an interesting, interesting game, uh, an enjoyable game. Uh, but I think West Ham, sorry, I think Newcastle, they, they've got to get wins out of these games. If they want to stay in touch at the top four again, it's great that they're in the Champions League. It's great that they're doing that. I think ultimately for them, success in the season will be finishing top four or at least in that five Europa spot um, and getting into the round of 16 for the Champions League. That would be fantastic for them. Don't you know? All right, where else can I go? Uh, before we get into other games. Oh, the mighty and destructive power that is Everton Football Club. Lay the smack down on Andoni Iraola's Bournemouth, scoring not one, not two, but three goals at home. Incredible. These are the first three games at home, goals at home that uh, uh, that Everton have scored. They have been playing well. As much as no one wants to believe me, Everton have been playing well. James Garner, every time I've seen him, he looks like he's going to score. Playing out from the back, Bournemouth get caught on the ball. Bournemouth... Uh, What's his face? Uh, Garner just takes a shot and puts it away. Let's see how many, if I do the XG win game, they should have won in week one. They should have won on week three against Wolves. Uh, they should have won against Sheffield. That was two and a half to 1.2. Lost to Arsenal. That's fine. They, sh they did beat Brentford. Did they? Away. I don't remember that. Uh, lost to Luton and smashed Luton and then beating Bournemouth. So they're playing well and generating chances. So just know that about the great and powerful Everton with Calvert-Lewin, with Decore now playing in a in a real up top two, uh, either at the 10, he sniffs goals, he's always running. And uh, we're seeing less of Danjuma, which is a shame, but Calvert-Lewin's up there. There's now a little bit of backup. They can go with Beto, even though he hasn't scored his goals yet. And Harrison, Jack Harrison, plays just his second game for the side and scored an amazing worldie of a goal uh, off the corner, slipping around, and Everton. Don't feel like they have the stink of relegation on them. I think they'll finish in the you know 13th or 14th, but they won't be in that bottom five group because Luton, Burnley, Bournemouth, Sheffield, those teams are bad. Uh, I think Wolves will stay out of it. It might be three from those four, um, maybe another team will slip into that uh, struggle, but I feel like Wolves, Everton, Brentford, Newcastle, I mean, uh, Nottingham Forest, Fulham, those teams are too good. Uh, and this this group that came up, Bournemouth were one of the worst underlying number teams uh, last season. Gary O'Neill working miracles, and we're going to get on to Gary O'Neill last season, and Areola is not working. It's a real interesting testament that they fired him. Uh, they fire O'Neill before the season starts. O'Neal goes into a turmoil-ridden Wolves. And what does he do? He's turned that team around. They get a 1-1 against Aston Villa at home. More Neto, more Huang, more goals. Aston Villa will feel hard done. Uh, last kick of the game, Ollie Watkins hits the post. 
and then the whistle blew. So um, a bad draw, I think, for Aston Villa, especially considering where Wolves are. But again, Gary O'Neill is a good coach. He's team fight. They don't give up. He puts everything on the line. He kept that Bournemouth team up. He complains. He's intense. He's a real coach, and he holds that tradition of English fighting, trouble, hard man managers, not going to give up, not going to give anything away, not going to stop fighting uh, until the team wins. He's just going to give it his all no matter what. If you like football, you should like managers like Gary O'Neill. He's very, very, very good, and I like him. Uh, let's see any other games. Oh God, there's some bad ones. There's one terrible one. Are you ready? Crystal Palace nil, uh, Nottingham Forest nil. <sighs> uh, the only thing that was fun about this game was the run by, um, not, not on that team. The run that Murillo makes in defense that he almost scores on. Young Brazilian defender, really almost got a goal, really like him. Not sure where he comes from. Going to learn more about him because after that run, he just put himself on the map. Um, he came, yeah, young, young player, only 13 games at Corinthians, just 21 years old, playing his second game in English football. So we're bringing a, a Brazilian player who's going to bring that Brazilian flair Really, really nice run uh, into the box. Looking forward to seeing more of him. Going to keep my eye on him. Uh, you know, Roy Hodgson's going to Roy Hodgkin. Hodgson? Hodgson. Roy Hodgson <laughs> is going to Roy Hodgson. Uh, get his draws and keep Palace in the division. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be what it is. No Eze for at least six weeks. So um, the sooner they can get... One of their creative players back in. They had they did play some youngsters that we saw today. I think his name is Raksaki. Uh Jurisan Raksaki seemed like a fun little player. Uh yeah, that's the one. Uh really fun, young, sprightly little player, just 20 years old, playing his amazing goal scorer in for Charlton last year. Scored 15 and 9 at 15 years old in League One for Charlton. So we know we have a young player here. We'll see what he can do. Was that Charlton last year? Yeah, really nice player. Um, scored 18 in in P Premier League Division One. So a good young player that we'll see if he can get more time as the injuries mount for uh, Crystal Palace. I want to say his name right. Jasurian Raksak Yi. Keep your eye out for him. He's the new Adingra. Uh, I like to keep track of these young London-born players that uh, Crystal Palace finds and just gets them into the system. So very exciting stuff there. Lots of good players all around football. Just have to keep your eye on them. They're out there. We love them all, equally but different. Okay, and we're headed into the international break. I don't think I'm going to do a show next Monday, but I do want to make sure that we capture this moment. Eight games into the season, we're gonna do the Premier League table. Table, 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 table. Uh, I can say with 100% certainty that the great and powerful 
Tottenham Hotspur are first in the league, tied with Arsenal. Uh, they have the same goal difference. They're ahead on goals scored. Goals scored. Uh, Tottenham have 18 goals scored to Arsenal's 16, but they have the same goal difference. So Tottenham in first on 20, along with Arsenal in third place on 18 points after losing two in a row is my beloved Manchester City. Uh, they have they still have the best goal difference in the division, followed up by Liverpool after their draw with um, Brighton. In the holding down the fifth slot after their draw is Aston Villa, along in sixth with Brighton. No, still Brighton, the top scoring team in the division. West Ham, a solid seventh, along with the great and powerful Newcastle United, holding down eighth. London Heroes, um, Crystal Palace in ninth, holding the mid table. We have Man United and Chelsea in 10th and 11th, respectively. Um, Chelsea have a positive goal difference. So they'll, I'd expect them to sort of pull into that top seven or eight by the season's end and get their, their other London friends, the great and powerful Fulham, who uh, got the win today. Also, they won 3-1 against Sheffield United. Didn't cover their game. Nice goals there. Uh, Hagenbottom is, is going to get fired any day now. Followed by, in 13th, Nottingham Forest. We just talked about them. And Wolves in 14th with Brentford, Everton, and Luton bringing up 15, 16, and 17, respectively, and in the relegation zone going into the second international break are the great and powerful Vincent Companies, Burnley, Bournemouth, and the aforementioned Sheffield United without wins. Bournemouth and Sheffield have no wins. Sheffield on only one point. They just have a draw to their name. They're playing really bad. What would have happened if they had won that Tottenham game that that Tottenham won in the 120 billionth minute? Who the hell knows? Okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast. We are the Premier League wing of the Top Football Club channel, and we are presented on their streaming channel. We record on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode and please like share and subscribe to shows we love you we thank you we thank chris for giving us this platform and doing all the hard work an amazing guy an incredible guy and i'll see you on the football tonight show 